This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Final edition of Asked and Answered for the 2021 Year Labs. Any big New Year's plans for you? You going out? You counting the ball down? No, I haven't done that in a while. You haven't done that in a while? No. no? no I've, uh, I've kind of retired that aspect of my <laughs> life. Um, but I'll tell you what, there was a time when, uh, you know, tuxedos and all that wow. stuff. Wow. Yeah. Dressed to the nines, huh? Yeah. It was, a, it was a kind of a family thing. My parents were into it. Uh, my brother and sister. It was fun. It was fun. Oh, of course it's fun. New Year's Eve is always fun. I like that big New Year's pretzel. That's what I do usually. I just sit on my couch and eat the entire New Year's pretzel to myself. <laughs> is and that then, good luck if you eat it all? Oh, yeah. It's the best luck. Actually, I'm now I'm trying to think about it out loud. I think I've missed the ball drop the past two years because I've been too drunk and fool to make it to midnight. And then it's like 1.30 in the morning, and I'm like, oh, it's the new year. I'm going to go right back to bed. Well, when you get to my age, you'll just go to sleep on purpose. <laughs> We got a lot of questions to get into, so let's get right into it, starting with Keith Miller from Canton, Ohio, who asks, have the Steelers ever consistently started four rookies on offense before? Yes. 1970 was Chuck Knoll's second season as the coach. The Steelers started four rookies on offense. Terry Bradshaw, quarterback, both wide receivers, Ron Shanklin and Dave Smith. Dave Smith was the guy who held the ball up in the Monday night game in Kansas City and lost it before he crossed the goal line, and tight end Dennis Hughes. Now, just to kind of complete the circle here, 1971, the next year, they consistently started four rookies on defense. Dwight White, some guy named Jack Ham. Hmm. I think he was a linebacker. I think that's that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and uh, both starting safeties, Mike Wagner and Glenn Edwards. Michael Dickey from Abilene, Texas. What do you think the probability is that James Washington will be back with the Steelers next year? I'll tell you what, Michael. This is a this is a uh, this is a, a, an issue that I do not understand and have not understood now for quite some time. This why James Washington is not playing more. Um, I I I I cannot answer it. I mean, I don't have any information. Just watching how things work, how he pract how he practices, how he approaches. Uh, I I just I, I got nothing. But anyway. Um, Let's let's just look at the the receiver uh, core. Uh, I don't believe that the Steelers are as deep and talented at wide receiver uh, as many thought coming out of training camp, and that's me number one. I thought that they had that might have been the toughest position to cut training camp in the preseason, and I also don't know that the Steelers understood what they had and or didn't have, you know, at wide receiver at that stage of the NFL calendar. Uh, Deontay Johnson clearly is the team's best wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster can become an unrestricted free agent. So, you know, I think James Washington has an opportunity these last couple of regular season games to maybe enhance his status on the depth chart. Um, you know, why Ray-Ray McLeod continues to get so much playing time, that is as baffling, if not more so, than why James Washington yeah. isn't. That's been the million-dollar question yeah. around Pittsburgh lately. I, I got nothing there. Um, but then here's this question. Um, does James Washington, who can become an unrestricted free agent as well, would he want to come back? Uh, given how his playing time has kind of evolved, not in a positive way for him the last couple of um, seasons. So, you know... 
the Steelers could franchise him, but they're not going to do that. That would be way overpaying him. And I also don't know, you know, whether it would be smart from the team standpoint to give him an offer he can't refuse. Right. Um, if the Steelers are fair with what James Washington has, quote unquote, earned to this point in his career, I don't know whether he would be interested in coming back or maybe he would be more interested in trying to get a fresh start somewhere else. So, um, sorry, Michael, I, I don't I, I don't know how to answer that. You know, I think a lot of last year he was expecting to get a bigger role because it was expected Juju was going to leave. Juju came back and that yeah. pushed him back down on the depth chart. There's a chance Juju comes back again next year because of his injury and the market maybe being a little soft on him. So I don't yeah, know what James that, Washington's future and, and holds. That's, and that's another one that, uh, to me, is really difficult to try and predict. And, you know, we're going to ha- get to that in a couple of questions here, Juju's uh, potential future with the Steelers because, um, you know, the cap's going to go up. There's going to be a lot of teams with a lot of money. Yeah. I just don't know what Juju is looking for. Well, let's wait till we get to that question to deal with that. J.C. Chuda from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In the third quarter of the win over the Titans on December 19th, after having scored a touchdown, Ben Roethlisberger was filmed walking into the tunnel and then seen seated on the steps with his head down. I have not heard of what might have happened other than CBS's Tony Romo speculating on a Tim Tebow moment. Has anyone asked Ben about it? Uh, As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger meets the media once a week, Wednesdays usually, and... um, during that session leading up to the Chiefs game, he was asked about that. And I'll just I'll just tell you his answer. This is it. Quote, oh, that was a misconstrued photo. It was not even close to what people think. And I don't need to get into what it was, but it was not a moment of thinking about anything. It's just a classic someone got a shot of something that was nothing that everyone thought it was. Ron Gonzalez from Lakewood, Colorado. I saw your response in a recent asked and answered about the Steelers declining the fifth-year option on Terrell Edmonds' contract. Where does that leave him as far as free agency and our rights to him? Um, uh, Terrell Edmonds, uh, even though his fifth-year option was declined by the Steelers, and that fifth-year option was would have been in the neighborhood of $6.5 million, and that's guaranteed money. That's like putting a franchise tag on someone. So right. the Steelers declined to do that. Okay. With that done, uh, the Steelers' rights to Terrell Edmonds are what they the same as they would be with any uh, unrestricted free agent or player who can become an unrestricted free agent. And uh, for Terrell Edmonds, that happens at 4 p.m. on March 16th, 2022. So the Steelers could re-sign him at any point up until then with no other team uh, negotiating against them. Uh, they could tag him. Uh, I don't see that happening because of the numbers uh, that would be involved in that. Uh, the deadline for a tag, franchise tag, transition tag, is 4 p.m. on March 8th. I love how the NFL puts the time on. 4 p.m., yeah. Sharp. Well, New York time, too, they say, so that uh, you know the teams in L.A. don't get an extra couple, three <laughs> yeah. hours. <laughs> Excuse me. So... Uh, the, basically, the Steelers are in the same situation with Edmonds as they would be with any veteran whose contract is set to expire with the start of the 2022 league year, which, again, to repeat myself, that will be 4 p.m. March 16th. Weird spot there in with Edmonds, too, because I could say you probably don't think he's a first-round pick talent-wise right now, but he's definitely not been bad, and he's been very reliable as far as availability is concerned. So very play tough decision. Of, right, yeah. play a lot of football. And, again, he's he's another one. 
in this sense, he's like James Washington. I don't know what he's looking for right. in terms of a salary or what other teams will perceive him to be worth. Um, but again, and we're going to get into this a little bit more at the next question too, you know, the cap is going to go up a pretty significant amount and uh, there are a lot of teams who are going into the, uh, before the cap even goes up with a, a big number. And so, uh, you know, as Dan Rooney always used to say, um, you know, put down that signing under the PR budget because there are teams that will do that. They will sign players to make their fans think, oh, look at us. Look, what we're, we're trying. Doing. We're trying. We're trying to win here. We're trying to win here. Right. Here comes that juju question everybody's been waiting for so desperately. William Pollock from Claremont, Pennsylvania. When it comes to Juju Smith-Schuster's future with this team, did his injury help the Steelers in possibly signing him to a multi-year contract? Well, it didn't hurt them. Let me say that. I mean, and only because, you know, and I hate to talk about a player this way. Uh, good, he got injured. His value won't be what it would have been if he had had a great year. Yeah, that's year. ugly, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's just um, – and the Steelers, uh, I believe, would be in a better position had Juju Smith-Schuster played the whole season Uh-oh. and had a good year. No question. Than um, if, you know, he – is in the situation that he's in. Did they do they miss him more than you initially thought when he went down? Yeah, I I, I, I think really, so too. And in two areas um, that I think might be a little bit under the radar. Number one is uh, Juju would block. Oh, he's yeah. a physical guy, and I think that uh, not only those you know quick uh, wide receiver screens or bubble screens, whatever you want to refer to them as, Juju's an asset on those either with you're throwing him the ball he doesn't go down easy, or if you're throwing the ball to someone else, uh, he could maybe throw a block to spring them. Uh, and, the, you know, Juju's a tough guy. Yeah. And I just think that um, we have seen so many games where Mike Tomlin has said, or we didn't even need to hear him say this, but the Steelers are getting handled on the lines of scrimmage. And so in those situations, the more tough guys you have on the field, Sometimes that rubs off on the other guys on the field. So, yeah, um, the Steelers are not uh, a better team right. without Juju Smith-Schuster than they would be have been with him. Scott Daves from Gastonia, North Carolina. When you ponder all of the troubles the Steelers have had on both sides of the ball this year, how much of it is because of the team needing to sign T.J. Watt this offseason? Did the Steelers need to let free agents like Bud Dupree, Alejandro Villanueva, Mike Hilton, Matt Filer, and others walk in order to afford Watt? Well, okay, uh, you know, let me answer it this way. Um, the Steelers believe in building their roster through the draft, and then they also believe in signing their own and signing and keeping their own players. So T.J. Watt is a guy, um, you know, he's a multiple-time all pro, first team all pro, and that's different from Pro Bowl. Uh, multiple time first team all pro in his first four seasons. Uh, he already, uh, well, he he broke the single season sack record after they re-signed him, so I right. won't, you know, throw that in. Um, you know, but he was uh, a top three defensive player of the year twice already. Yeah, You don't let a guy like that go to sign Mike Hilton and Matt Filer and Al Villanueva. And I'm not I'm not grading those guys. I mean, those guys were uh, starters. Uh, they helped the Steelers win games. Uh, they certainly would have been assets if had they been on this team. But they're not at the level or caliber of T.J. Watt. 
Now, what to me, what cost the Steelers, uh, Villanueva, Hilton, and Filer, is the drop in the salary cap because of COVID. Right. If the cap doesn't drop because of COVID, um, and COVID, the impact it had was all the games played in empty stadiums. You know, it was estimated that the league lost about two billion dollars in revenue, which wow. is shared players and owners, and so that caused the cap to actually drop for the first time since it was implemented for the 93 season. That's what cost the Steelers those three players. Bud Dupree, I, I just I didn't think you are going to be able to keep him. Uh, Priced himself out. Well, I mean, by, by his play. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's what cost the Steelers those depth pieces. You couldn't pay Matt Filer uh, $7 million a year over three years, which the Chargers did. And they're one of those teams that went into the offseason with cap space. You can't pay Mike Hilton $6 million a year over four years, which is what the Bengals did. That's another team uh, that went into the offseason with cap space. Al Villanueva, he had to kind of wait to the end. Uh, he hooked on with the Ravens, and I believe he they, they signed him for a couple of years at around $7 million a year. I mean, you, Al Villanueva, I thought that the Steelers were, were going to be looking to replace him regardless. Yeah. So, I mean – you know, stuff happens. Steelers will be one of those teams with a lot of cap space this coming off season. They will have more, but they're still not. If you look at some of the teams, they're not at the top. Going, top. Yeah, twenty, thirty million in cap space. I think Jacksonville or somebody has forty million in cap space. I'm sure they'll spend that well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Michael Chernoff from Querétaro, Mexico. When the quarterback spikes the ball to stop the clock, how is that recorded? Does it count as an offensive play? Does it count as an incomplete pass? Uh, yes, is the short answer. It counts uh, as an offensive play, and it counts as an incomplete pass uh, for the quarterback. So the way it counts as an offensive play, if uh, Ben is a, just to use a name that everyone understands and knows, he brushes the, the offense to the line on first and 10, spikes the ball. Okay, that's an incomplete pass for him, and now it's second and 10. That's how Spike is scored. Scott Collins from Gambrills, Maryland. When was the last year that the college All-Stars played the reigning NFL champions in the next summer's preseason opener? Okay, just to explain to listeners who might not be 100% familiar of what the college All-Star game is. Me, I'm one of them. Really? This used to happen? Yes. What? Oh, yeah, the, the NFL champion, I think it started in 1934. Uh, some, it was a, originally the Chicago it was called the Chicago All-Star Game. It was for a charity. Somebody in Chicago, like, dreamed up the idea. And uh, so what you would have is uh, a college All-Star team of players entering the NFL. Okay. So it wasn't, like, sophomores. Sophomores and freshmen weren't no, playing. No, Well, freshmen weren't playing. Period back then. Period back then. Um, and the last game was played in the, 19th, the summer of 1976. And that game was canceled early because of lightning and really bad rain. And the Steelers were in it because the Steelers won the Super Bowl the 74 season, so they played it in 1975. And then they won the 70, Super Bowl at the end of the 75 season, so they played in it in the summer of 76. Um, 42 editions of the game. The NFL uh, was 31-9-2 and uh, over those All-Stars. And you would be surprised. The Steelers were 2-0. and but Vince Lombardi's Packers lost a couple of those. I'm surprised that they got nine wins. The college all-stars did. 
I mean, and, I know they're going to the NFL, but they ain't there yet. Well, and, you know, the problem became uh, the NFL team really didn't care. Yeah. It, it's, it was an extra preseason game. For example, in 74 and 75, no, excuse me, 75 and 76, the Steelers played seven preseason games, including <laughs> that one. They only played 14 regular season games. So you played half of a regular season <laughs> of games that didn't count. And getting the, the players, um, you know, interested in that kind of thing wasn't that easy. You know, I remember Dick Hoke a long time. Uh, he was a Steelers assistant coach then, running backs coach. He told me that one of those college all-star years, the Steelers were at St. Vincent College for the start of training camp like a couple of days after the 4th of July. Wow. That's crazy talk. Could never get away with that now. It's like almost two full months. You turn right back around, yeah. Yeah. Season ends, you got a couple months off, and you're right back here again hitting. And they used to hit a lot in training camps back then. Two days. Gino Calderon from Houston, Texas. It's very easy for all of us fans to criticize, but how did the Steelers let the offensive line get into such disarray? Najee Harris has no one to run behind. Well, okay, uh, Gino, let me just explain. Uh, some things before I get to the specific part of your question. You know, the NFL's whole business model was created with an idea of, you know, parity. Um, they want as many teams to feel that they have a chance, and they want as many teams as possible later in the season to still be able to qualify for the playoffs. And the way they do this, you know, the salary cap is one way to do that. Um, the way the draft works, where the worst teams from the previous season get to pick first, the way the waiver wire is, where the worst teams from the previous season get the first chance to claim guys who happen to be placed on waivers by another team. And then in 2002, when the NFL realigned and got to 32 teams, and then that created a more uniform way of schedule making, um, the best teams play each other. You know, there are a few games where who you play the following season is based on where you finish in your division right. and where your opponent finishes in their division. As an example, this year, you know, the Steelers won the division in 2020. The AFC North was matched with the NFC West. So the Steelers' 17th game was against the winner of the NFC West in 2020, which was the Seattle Seahawks. And that's how, you know, so that's how the league – tries to make things more difficult for the teams that win. All right, so there's that. So the Steelers now were picking, you know, later uh, in drafts. And what happened to them was all of their offensive linemen kind of got old at the same time. Right. You know, Pouncey and DeCastro were number one picks. They both retired in the same offseason. Marvell Smith and Marcus Gilbert were second-round picks. Max Starks was a third-round pick. So – once the Steelers invested heavily in the in draft capital in those kinds of players, then the subsequent drafts come up, and there's only seven rounds, so you got to turn your attention to other areas, okay? Cam Hayward was a number one. Tuitt was a number two. Javon Hargrave was a number three when they had to retool their defensive line. Um, uh, T.J. Watt was a one. Bud Dupree was a one. Ryan Shazier was a one when they were retooling their linebackers. So, you know, you can't consistently um, allocate premium draft picks to one position every year. Once you get a solid core group of guys who are talented, fairly young, 
you got to turn your attention to other areas of your team. And what happened to the Steelers was it kind of got away from them a little bit. I mean, they, they got lucky with some offensive linemen last, uh, like unrestricted, or excuse me, undrafted rookies, Ramon Foster, right. Villanueva, Matt Filer. Those guys, <clears throat> you find them, uh, you develop them, uh, they, and they, in, in fact, develop themselves to some degree, and you can, you know, use them. You know, occasionally you get lucky with a late-round pick. Kelvin Beecham, seventh round pick, but eventually that luck runs out. I mean, you can't you can't count on undrafted rookies and late round draft picks to become starting offensive linemen. And so, you know, again, um, they kind of all got old together. I don't think they believed that Pouncey and DeCastro were going to both retire at the end of the 2020 season. Um, you know, happenstance. Now, uh, again, maybe they should have dedicated. Um, you know, earlier round picks in other drafts to the offensive line, um, but they didn't. And so now you're in a situation where you got to get back to dedicating uh, premium picks to the offensive line, and I think that will happen for sure in 2021. And finally, Adam Felderman from Tucson, Arizona, with maybe the only question that really matters. What must happen the last two weeks of the season in order for the Steelers to make the playoffs? Okay, as we're sitting here right now, um, there are seven teams per conference that make the playoffs. Uh, if the Steelers lose to the Browns, I believe they're all but eliminated. And this is it's a simple arithmetic. Because right now, there are six teams already in the AFC with nine wins. New England, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Tennessee, and Kansas City. So if the Steelers lose to the Browns Monday night, the best they can do is 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. And it really doesn't matter, you know, wild card, winning division, if there are seven teams with more wins than you can possibly get, you're out. So, okay, there's that. Now, if they beat uh, the Browns, the best they can finish is 9-7-1. and one. Right. Now, this is where that tie could help them because if – the Bengals need one win over the last two weeks to clinch the AFC North. Um, and so what the Steelers have to hope for is, are teams like that are not currently you know, going to win their division, maybe Buffalo or New England, which one of those teams from the East, um, Indianapolis or Tennessee, Kansas City and the Chargers. Kansas City, however, is out because they've already clinched yeah. uh, the West. But the Chargers, may, if they lose out – they will finish with eight wins. Uh, if the Colts, excuse me. So um, what I'm trying to get to is the, the Steelers have to win, in my opinion, even though it's not math, a mathematical certainty that they have to win, um, beat the Browns to remain viable for the final week of the end of the season. But I believe that that is, in fact, what is going to have to happen. So – beat the Browns, beat the Ravens, and then, um, you know, it's very possible that the Ravens don't win another game as we've seen them the last couple of uh, uh, weekends. They're kind of leak; uh, They're on fumes. Yes. And, you know, you, you beat the Browns Monday night and then root like heck for them to beat the Bengals uh, the next week and maybe you win the division. That's it. Beat the Browns. You got to beat the Browns. Beat the like Browns. you said, you still might mathematically still be alive for a wild card if you drop that one. But all it would take is, I think, a Dolphins, Chargers, or Ravens win, and you're mathematically eliminated right. from that too. So 
Beat the Browns. Beat the Browns, yes. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Asked and Answered. As always, we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Have a happy new year. We'll talk to you in 2022. For Bob Labriola, I am Tom Offerman, and we'll talk to you next week.